crucial date. Yeah, right. Packers Face Stories resume with uh, Andy Everhart, who is now our program leader. Is that your first title now? Program leader in BA Theology and Liberal Arts and lecturer in theology. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Right. So with your faculty face story, where do we start? Uh, Growing up, I guess. Yeah, I, I suppose it's really if you have grown up. That's that's very much so up for debate, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so I I was blessed to have been raised in a very Christian home. Um, Jesus was always present in that house. And so there is, uh, having grown up in the United States, there was the constant sort of narrative of, well, there's this moment of conversion when you pray and accept Jesus into your heart. Um, I have one of those, but kind of in hindsight, I tend to think of like, no, Jesus just was always in the house. And then there was a day when I remember realizing that like, oh, I actually have a relationship with this person. Um, and even at a very young age of like four, wanting that to like make a difference in my life um, and, and change how I lived now in very small ways as a four-year-old. But um, yeah, Jesus was just always there. Um, and so I grew up in the church and I grew up with a, a, a family that was very active in the church. Uh, and that actually really informed my faith. So like many Christians who, um, kind of grew up in, in houses that were churched, um, I had a moment as well, kind of in my early teen years when, uh, not only was I, you know, a Christian, I believed in Jesus, I had a relationship with him, but my, my faith kind of became more my own and less attached to my parents' faith. Um, though I, I will say again that my my parents' faith, my family's faith, had a huge impact on me growing up. Um, that's how I came to know Jesus, was just the fact that he was around the family all the time. What church um, was this? What kind of... It would have been, so I think, uh, so I was born in Ohio, which if you're from the States, you know that you don't really mention Ohio if you were born there. <laughs> it's not a very pleasant place. Um but then we very quickly moved to Michigan, where we started at, uh, I think it was, Indo it was previously Baptist convention of some kind. By the time we got there, it was independent Baptist. And then uh, some years later, it became just an independent Bible church. Um, so a rather large church on the scale of things. I think last I checked, their their main campus uh, in Troy, Michigan, was around six thousand people. What's using the word campus? Yeah, 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 exactly. We've got a scale of church. So it's it's a church that's kind of spread all over the uh, greater Detroit metro area. Um, now, and my parents are still there, but I so I grew up in this church where there was a lot of different ministries going on, and uh, for the faith that my parents held, it wasn't enough just to have a relationship with Jesus. But if you really love Jesus. You're going to, you know, feed his sheep. Um, so my parents were very passionate about um, if, if you have a relationship with Jesus, that means you want to serve the church. You want to serve in some kind of ministry. You want to um, care for the poor. The, this was the faith, the, the definition of faith that I really grew up with. Um, so the the moment that I kind of point to my faith becoming a little bit more independent from that of my parents was when I started serving in, I think it was like children's ministry is what I started out in. Um was volunteering on a Sunday or helping with kids camp um, during the summers. And yeah, where that kind of became this trajectory that led me to being an academic um, theologian later, because uh, I had this strong notion that I really, because of the way that I viewed my faith as, well, I really love Jesus. So I wanted, I want to do something to help the church. Um, it, it was something that I decided I really liked doing. 
and really made sense to me and was something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I was like, oh, I know, I'll uh, I'll somehow get paid to do this. Um, I didn't find out till much later that no one gets paid to do this. Uh, yeah, or you get paid very little. So that was fun. Um, but I, I knew I wanted to serve the church as kind of a full-time gig, um, not just something that I do uh, on top of kind of a regular nine to five. Um, now, I didn't know what that would look like. Uh, so coming out of high school, I had applied for various Bible colleges and theological training colleges around the United States. Uh, the popular one at the time being Moody Bible Institute, which is still in Chicago. Um, so I ended up being my wife, but I, I went in looking to get a, I think a youth ministry degree um, simply because that's something people told me like, Oh, you're full of energy and you're kind of lively. You'd probably be good at youth men. In hindsight, I would have been terrible at youth men, so I'm glad I, I shifted away from that. But at the time, it was just a, you know what, this will work. I, I don't know what I want to do. I know I want to serve Jesus and serve the church. Um, so I got there, decided I didn't like the youth ministry courses, uh, and there was two kinds of courses I really did feel drawn to. There was the biblical studies and the theological studies, and the theological studies just happened to have a better schedule for, <laughs> for me. And that ended up, it was, yeah, late in mornings. Um, in, at, when I was in college. Um, yeah, so I, I, it was that. And then I, later on, I also kind of figured out the biblical studies stuff. Well, I really enjoyed it. Um, and the languages stuff specifically, I found that I, I was really drawn to some of the more constructive work going on in theology. So not just um, getting inside the mindset of either a historical theologian or uh, an author of scripture, a human author of scripture, um, but thinking about who is God for us today and how does that change how we should live? Um, how does the task of theology end up serving the church? Um, so all, all of that sort of journey with my faith and Jesus always being a part of my life from a very early age to then thinking about, well, if Jesus is a part of my life, how do I want to serve the church came to shape uh, how I came into the academic journey, right? Whereas for many people, it's about plunging into the deeper mysteries of God. Um, the idea of doing theology was always something very connected with serving the church for me. Um, and that shaped not only my studies and how I approach them, um, that shaped kind of the extracurriculars around it. So while trying to pay for grad school and things, I, instead of working at a job that probably would be more flexible and more lucrative, I tried to focus on working in various ministries that I thought were important. And that again, would serve the church and, and the mission of the church. Um, and even the theological work, the topics I was focused on, especially in grad school, I started focusing on things like uh, racial injustice, restorative justice, um, ideas of gender and and the role of women in the church. All of those things were kind of pouring out of not just, well, I, I want to plunge the deeper mysteries of God. Um, I wanted to do that, but I wanted it to help to service the questions that the church more broadly was asking. Um, and so my theology was always very connected with what was going on in the church, right? Or, or kind of Karl Barth's thing of always showing up at the pulpit, or in my case, the lecture, and with a Bible in one hand and a, a newspaper in the other. So what kind of ministries were you working with? Yeah, so right out of um, right out of my graduation from Moody, uh, I immediately started, or not immediately, fairly quickly started working for um, an after-school program. Uh, I was a reading teacher, and I, I also did some Bible uh, as well while I was there. 
Uh, but it was an after-school program in one of the uh, poorest neighborhoods in Chicago, way, way, way on the west side, um, a lovely place called Austin. Um, and I, uh, the point of this program was to provide kids uh, who were really struggling in the school district with um, reading support, math support, homework support, um, extracurricular activities that the school wasn't able to provide for them. Uh, because their budgets were constantly getting slashed. Uh, this was at around the time, too, when a lot of weird political um, scandals were coming out about misuses of Chicago City budget. Um, a lot of that money was being stolen from the education budget. And who did that affect? It affected the, the sort of poorest neighborhoods um, on the west side and on the south side. So those were the kids we were servicing, the kids who were really struggling in school with behavior issues, with learning difficulties, um, and it was there I kind of encountered for the first time a lot of the imbalance in sort of racial injustice um, that previous to working there, I had kind of assumed was like, yeah, I know it's kind of vaguely a thing in history, but it's not a problem anymore. In fact, I don't see color anymore. Um, I'm, I'm enlightened. I'm above that. We're all the Imago Dei. Um, and it wasn't until working uh, in a neighborhood like that with kids who were really struggling and who were being underserviced by a citywide disaster um, and, and, and financial scandal that I really kind of saw, oh yeah, no, this is a really naive view for me to take of, of historic injustices um, and really shapes the sort of theological research that I'm doing even today. Uh, when you were at Bible school. Did you go to a local church as well? How did you find going to a local church? Um, I did go to a local church, and that was something that became very important for me. So uh, sort of similar to LST, right? You get a bunch of people who are Christians into a, a sort of small uh, community like this, and it tends to create a little bit of a Christian bubble, almost like a like the monasteries of old, right? Um, I had a professor in particular, a couple of professors, but one professor in particular who really didn't like that about Moody. Um, he thought it was really unhealthy because the whole point of Moody is it's training everyone for ministry, right? So these are people who should be engaged in the local church. Um, and instead, we we're often just kind of engaged with ourselves and sort of isolated from what was happening in the church. And so it became very important to me because of this professor's influence that like, no, 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 what I'm doing should not just be serving the church sort of in as a vague sense, but I should be specifically tied into a local church. Um, and so I ended up um, at a church that a lot of various Moody students would go to called Missio Day. There was a, again, it was sort of a, not quite a campus model, but they have multiple locations, much smaller, but there was the bigger one that had kind of started all of it in Wrigleyville. And I followed Wrigleyville. Uh, Wrigleyville. Wrigleyville. Uh, God's favorite baseball team. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. Wrigley yeah. Field, okay. Yeah, yeah. So Wrigleyville. Um, so we went to, out to Wrigleyville, met this church. I'm like, yeah, I want to get plugged in here um, because, again, if I love God and I want to serve the church. So I feel that some form saying I'd like to serve. And I got picked up not by that particular location, but a different location out in Humboldt Park, which is, again, the west side. It's how I got tied in with some of these ministries out on the west side. Um so I got picked up by uh, one of the smaller congregations meeting out there. They said, hey, we need someone to do some of this like sound tech stuff, music, and just someone who's really, you know, kind of sounds like you're really invested in serving the local church. Uh, we need someone who's who's interested in these things. They had a couple pastors who 
were previous Moody students and kind of knew what Moody was about and were, um, they just sort of took me under their wing um, and kind of cultivated my desire to serve the church, but my desire to really learn theology and do that well and for that to be a part of my service to the church. Um, and that ended up getting me connected in a very intimate way with the local church. Uh, my wife and I both ended up serving as deacons at that church. There was at one point, uh, either one of us were considered as elders for that church. Um, we both decided to step away from that. Um, but we, we ended up helping to lead that church for our, almost our entire time in Chicago, because for us, it wasn't, we, we wanted to not just be kind of trapped in the moody bubble. We wanted to be part of what was happening more broadly in the church. So what did you do grad school? Is that also at Moody or was that? That was in Chicago, um, but a little bit further out in the burbs. Um, so what we'd call Chicago land. Uh, and for those of you listening at home, there's uh, there's air quotes around Chicago land. So most of the time, someone will tell you they're from Chicago, they're from Chicago land. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're from the burbs, um, not Chicago proper. And this is, this is a touchy area for those of us who actually live <laughs> in Chicago. Um, so, uh, it's called Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. It's a seminary attached to Trinity International University. Don, um, Don Carson was it? Yes, he was. Yeah, uh, he retired. I think in one of my last years there, yeah. but in the way that like someone retired but they never actually retire. Yeah. Um, we call that the the NT Wright retirement. <laughs> Tony Lane retirement. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, so uh, yeah, Don Carson was there. So I I went there and they had a. Um, actually pretty interesting program where you could do sort of multiple degrees simultaneously. So I did an MA in systematic theology and an MA in church history simultaneously. <laughs> um, I really liked doing theology and I also liked the history stuff quite a bit. And it ended up setting me up well for the kind of work I do now. Um, but it, it, I think it prepared me really well for the PhD to, to do that. But yeah. It, also, it sounds way more daunting than it actually was. It's it's a relatively reformed place, Trinity. It's um evangelical. So it was founded by the Evangelical Free Church, but it's fairly ecumenical in that the Evangelical Free Church sees it as a sort of from the E Free Church as a gift to the rest of the church. So they're 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 fairly broad in who they'll accept. Uh they had quite a few reformed guys there. Um, also some Lutherans and uh yeah, a lot of broadly evangelical and one Baptist uh, that I knew of. Um, and then there was Andy. Yeah. So then PhD was on this side of the poem. That's when it ended up bringing me over to the UK. Uh, and then I learned that the UK is a much better place to live than the US. And so I never yeah. left. Um, and I'm very grateful for LST keeping me here because it, it, it allowed me to stay on the side of the pond. But So what point um, did you do this way? Well, uh, it, that actually starts back uh, at the point where I kind of moved away from from the youth men track. And I was like, uh, what do I want to do? The youth men isn't really working out. I really like this theology stuff. Um, so I went to one of my theology profs and I said, Hey, I want to do more theology. Like what's a career I could do that with. It's like, well, you could be a professor. Um, but I'm just letting you know, uh, it's a miserable life. It takes you forever to get there. The PhD is impossible. Your family is going to be miserable and they're going to hate you. And also there are no theology jobs. Um, so you might as well give up now. Now, if none of that deters you, and I'm me, so it didn't work. Um, if none of that deters you, then uh, uh, this is how you do it, right? You start with the end goal, the PhD, and then you work backwards. So uh, he, he really impressed upon me. Um, it's the person, not the program, 
right? So it's not about what school you go to, although that name can kind of open certain doors for you, but ultimately what's going to make or break your success as a PhD student going into a career as a theologian is who you're working with. And uh, we kind of figured out my interests. I was interested generally in theological anthropology. I was interested in sort of the Bart and Terencian tradition. This is where I got really interested in, in the church's questions about race and gender, although this, this feeds into that quite well. Um, and so I, it, I kind of he had me read up on a bunch of different scholars working in the field and kind of trying to see who could I work with in the future. London School of Theology was a name he mentioned as a good place to get a PhD, oddly enough. Um, but I really fell in love with the work of Alan Torrance, who was at the University of St. Andrews. So then because of this advice I'd gotten, every step I made in my academic career was with the intention of, okay, what can I do to set myself up well to work with Alan Torrance down the line? Uh, I knew that Ted's had a really good relationship with St. Andrews at the time. Um, I didn't really realize how deep that relationship went, but apparently there was a lot of really good connections. Um, so I ended up making that connection, studying with specific people who en ended up getting me connected with Alan. Um, and then I applied to work with him at St. Andrews. And three years St. Andrews? Uh, three years and change. And there was something that vaguely resembled a postdoc afterwards there as well that kind of overlapped at the end of my PhD. Um, much golf? On... <laughs> you know, uh, no. I, I bought my father-in-law a round um, of, of golf because he's a big golfer. I, I appreciate the game of golf and I just... <laughs> Not enough to, uh, I, I think votes. it would have been wasted on me. Um, shockingly, I did own a set of clubs that were given to me for free by the, the previous owner of my of my office. I hadn't gone to Oxford, I was gone to St. Andrews and been a much better golfer and much less good academic. That, sound, that checks out. That uh, checks out, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so what was your PhD looking at? Well, so it ended up um, kind of merging a lot of these, these interests I've expressed. So again, theology for the church was the driving force um, in my, my younger days, let's, uh, let's say when I was a hardcore complementarian and had these, again, these very lofty ideas about race, about how, you know, oh, we're just all beyond that. If we just focused on the Imago Dei, we could, we could move beyond this, this, uh, these problematic issues. Um, and a lot of that naivete was broken by, um, quite frankly, some very patient women and persons of color who dealt with my uh, absurdly offensive um, ideas patiently. Um, and so there's a lot of people, friends, colleagues, uh, who I've since gone back to and apologized to, but who really helped me in that journey. Um, but it was all happening alongside this very Terencian line of thought about the relationality of theology, about the Imago Dei as being made in the image of the Trinity, persons made for communion, for community with others. Um, and all of those kind of came to a head while I was at TED's. So interacting with kind of the Terencian line, while also encountering liberation theology for the first time through uh, one very critical friend, Giuliani uh, Nieves-Gonzalez, who still teaches at Trinity in Florida. Um, and also through uh, a professor named Bruce Fields, who has unfortunately since passed. Um, but through them, for various reasons, I ended up uh, really in love with the work of James Cone, as well as Williams James Jennings and uh, Gustavo Gutierrez. Um, and they ended up shaping uh, the project that I did there for my thesis, which was Theological Anthropology plus the Doctrine of Sin, 
focusing on the sort of Terencian relationality bit and, and the role of being in community as being essential to the human creature. And then sin is a distortion of that. Now, as you can tell, that would never fly as a master thesis. That's doing entirely too much. Um, I ne I still don't know how they let me get away with it there. Um, but that, what came out of that was, oh yeah, this is way too much to bite off um, from a master's project or even a PhD project. Um, and so I kind of took a step back of like, okay, let's just do the theological anthropology bit of that. Um, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And what role did things like race and gender play in being made in the image of God, right? Because we we don't want to have this kind of abstract notion of, well, we're all in the image of God, and so none of this matters. Well, it, it seems to matter a yeah. lot on the ground. And it even seems to matter a lot for how we relate to God. We're very particular persons. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. That's actually one of the beautiful things we see about the eschatological view of what humanity becomes. So it's every tribe, tongue, and nation united in worship of God. So if these things are important, these particularities are essential for this, this ending vision of what it means to be human, then we need to sort of work out what role they're playing in, in our view of the Imago Dei. So of course I went back to the Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? So Jesus doesn't just come as the generic human. He comes as a very particular human. He comes as male. He comes as a Palestinian Jew. He comes as the Nazarene, the man from Galilee. He comes as the rod of Jesse, descendant of David. And what role do these things play, not just in him being human, but in him reconciling all of humanity in his own human nature? Again, taking that Terencian line. Um, and then dialoguing very critically with some of these scholars who have thought systematically, like James Cohn, about the nature of race and um, others who have thought about the nature of gender, very particularly like um, Sarah Coakley. And trying to bring all of that together into a vision of the Imago Dei that can sustain the fact that we're not just all in the image of God, but we're in the image of God in very particular ways. And that particularity is part of God's beautiful design for what it means to be human. Um, yeah. That's the project. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you're clearly somebody who's working at high academic level and living there and enjoying living there. Uh, someone with a lot of energy and serving the church. Can I ask you how you experience God? Um, usually pretty charismatically. Um, I, I tend to lean on the Pentecostal side of things in that respect. Um, and so I tend to experience God by, uh, encountering his spirit in worship in very drastic ways, uh, by either being given words of prophecy, uh, pictures for other people, um, or through, uh, either those same people getting pictures from God about me and praying over me. Um, I, ex I don't know how else to put it except to say that it just feels like a real relationship, right? So if you start to ask some of the apologetic questions that we often ask these days, well, how do you know God is real, right? To me, that almost feels like asking like, well, how do you know your wife is real? She's not in the room with you right now. How do you know you didn't just make it all up? I've had this whole history with her. I've had this whole relationship with her. I am who I am in many ways because of that relationship and because of the story we've had together. And so all of that feels like the kinds of encounters that I have with God when I worship him in church, when I receive a word of prophecy or when a word of prophecy is given to someone else for me, um, 
or even when I read my Bible in the morning and, and have my devotional time, it feels like a real relationship. It feels like I'm genuinely spending time with someone. And so the the sort of apologetic questions of, well, how do you prove God is real is, feels sometimes a bit absurd to me. Um, I have no idea if that's actually what you were asking. Yeah, that's fine. I just scattershotted a bunch of things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think that's probably us done. Great. That's a faculty face story. We're up to date, aren't we? I think. Well, you're here now. I have that's a right. Yeah, that's been a settling in. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I I have written most of my lectures for the term, and trying to hold myself back from writing the rest of them because I'm afraid of. You know, better not to write the whole course before you start. Exactly. What if you have to drastically rewrite because students yeah. get really interested in one thing or something that you spend a lot of time on is just unhelpful. So trying and to contain myself. On the side, trying to decide an entire new design, an entire new degree. Yes. I, I actually feel fairly confident about where that's at now because a lot of work has gone gone on in the front on the front end between myself, Mark, and David. To really create something unique and and interesting that's going to serve the needs of the church in the UK more broadly and the needs of LST and its vision particularly, um, so that actually feels fairly prepared. It's now just going through the sort of arduous baby steps of uh, validation with a, a institution of higher education like Middlesex. Um, and where paperwork? You... It's a lot of paperwork. And where are we going to see you around community? Where, where, what are you likely to be turning up to? Eurovision Song Contests and all that kind of stuff? Or? You know, uh, I, I am a big fan of the Eurovision ever since I've been introduced to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I was given his homework, uh, uh, a European and a Brit who are a married couple. Their, their thing was like, well, if you're an American getting into Eurovision, you have to watch the Will Ferrell Eurovision. Was, it seems like a bad thing to say. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Like it, it, it'll feel like it's hyperbolic. It's actually yeah. everything that's happening in Eurovision. It's just that ridiculous. I would very much recommend it. Yeah. Uh, but you're also you're a musician. I am a bit of a musician. Yeah, I have a history of, uh, well, like I said, so I got tied into our local church that came to shape a lot of my ministry focus um, in my uh, more adult years. Uh, uh, that was through, um, hey, I'm a musician and I know sound tech stuff and I can help with that. And they were like, yes, we need someone to do that. And they just kind of wrangled me in. So I, I play various, I've played various instruments in worship bands or other kinds of bands that I may be embarrassed to talk about because of the folly of youth. Um, but I've played, yeah, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, bass guitar, some keys, which is different than piano. Pianos for people who had actual training. Keys yeah. is for people who figured out a couple <laughs> of chords and funny riff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So keys. I played drums at one point. I've sang, done screaming vocals. That's a different so sort of maybe, genre. Maybe some of the musical events that are happening around college, we might see you around. Yeah. Um, I, I met a, a group of young fellows here who, um, who have a keen interest in, in martial arts and combat okay. sports. Um, I have a background in martial arts. I I studied uh, Taekwondo for like 14 years or so it started very young like right when we moved to michigan and then did that all the way through i mean on and off but all the way through high school um and did a couple of degrees of black belt under my belt um so there was i talked to them there was some interest in yeah maybe me teaching a, a martial arts class or something like that sounds very good yeah thank you very much that's andy's story